Chapter 34 All Girls Club The house that the girls gave to Seven and his team was surprisingly spacious. Five-bedroom place that looked relatively untouched from the outside, but the inside blatantly revealed that it had been fixed up, and fairly recently by the looks of it, like they were expecting to turn it into some kind of dorm house for more arrivals to their little crew. The place looked like a nice family home had been constructed with the hope of a growing middle-class family moving in and seeking shelter from the world within its walls. It had a spacious living room with large leather sofa and armchairs, as well as a love seat that Ben grabbed before anyone could beat him to it, pulling Gregory into his lap as he spread himself out upon it. It all faced a large, old-style TV, which Seven had no idea how he even knew what it was, let alone what it was supposed to do, given he'd actually never seen one operate. There was a large, spacious kitchen that had a huge number of appliances that were all utterly useless without any kind of power to them. But the obvious change there was that the oven had been transformed into a log burner now, so whoever lived there could still cook their meals, and there was even a neat stack of little pre-cut wood next to it. Shepherd had told them this was where they'd be living with for their stay, and she said while they were not prisoners here, she asked them not to go wandering about the place too much as their presence might actually be upsetting to some. So she said she'd be back later on to grab them so they could start discussing the plans about how to get into Raven Rock. But that didn't stop the gang from splitting up to go and explore every inch of their new temporary home. And it wasn't long before Visa had claimed the master bedroom with its large double bed for herself and Seven, while Ven had snagged the only other bedroom with a double bed for himself and Gregory. Though to be fair, it wasn't like the others minded, as it sure beat sleeping on the floor in a bloody broken down chair. The other three beds all had single beds in them and looked like they'd been designed for children. And to make themselves a double bed, Riss and Runt had snagged the spare mattress from the unused room, which Malachi was fine with, as he said a single mattress was more than enough for him, which kind of surprised Seven, considering the Arachnachai's boy's size. All of the group seemed to have landed on their feet, despite getting shot down and crashing, and nearly dying in a firefight with super mutants. The scavenger group didn't seem all that bad, to be fair, but Seven had advised them all to keep their guards up, as he never quite knew what desperation would drive normally good people to do in certain circumstances. After about an hour, there was a knock at the door, and Seven went to open it, only to find the girl in the blue coat standing there, looking somewhat embarrassed and hopeful. Um, hi there. I was, um... Kind of wondering if I could speak to the spider boy, please, she said in a rather nervous sounding voice as she craned her neck a little to look up at Seven, who was still in his power armour, much to Visa's annoyance. Sure, come on in. His name's Malachi, just so you know, Seven said, stepping clear of the doorway to allow her to pass him and enter their new home. Malachi was sat in the centre of the living room floor, doing that whole spider-shaped loaf of bread thing he did when he wanted to rest his legs by folding him up underneath him into like a fist shape. He looked like it from his old book that he'd found, currently engrossed in, and the young woman entered. Um, hello Malachi. I was, um, just wondering what you said about my coat. Do you, uh, really think you could repair it? You know, like you said. It's, um, kind of really important to me. As, well... My mother gave it to me before I lost her, and I am, have absolutely no clue how to fix it. The tear's only been getting bigger for a while now, and I'm scared I'm going to lose it entirely if it keeps up, she said in a very shy and hopeful-sounding voice, 
as she stood before him, wringing her hands as she felt every set of eyes and one tongue in the room fix on her. Malachi's face lit up, and his two large front-facing eyes did the whole utterly amazed-looking thing again as he smiled at her. He unfurled his legs from under him and rose up to his full height, making the woman take a nervous step backwards, bumping into the armoured chest of Seven who stood directly behind him. She glanced back at him and he smiled down at her as he took his helmet off so she could see his face for the first time. Don't be scared. Malachite's as gentle as they come. He wouldn't hurt anyone. I know he looks a bit different and, you know, different can be scary. But trust me, it can also be the best thing that ever happens to you, he said, shooting a warm smile at Visa, who'd stretched a large frame out on the large leather couch now. The woman looked back at Malachi, who was still smiling at her warmly, and she seemed to take a deep, steady breath to steady her nerves as she stepped forwards towards him. To his credit, the large arachnokai boy simply stood there and let her come to him. It was like he was trying to tame a skittish horse or something. "'May I?' he asked, gesturing to her coat, and the woman nodded before taking it off and gingerly handing it to him. Malachi lifted the coat up and in his expert hands began to turn it around in a multitude of directions to examine it closely. He could see his eyes focusing in, and Seven had to wonder just how deep, deep his depth perception was with six of those eyes like that. Hmm. Other than the obvious, obvious tear here, there's a few patches of light damage there, and one or two burst seams. But other than that, it's in pretty damn good condition. I should be able to fix this up for you, no problem. In fact, I should be able to improve it for you if you want, he said confidently as he examined some of the seams closely. Improve it? she asked curiously, and Malachi nodded. Yeah, there's a lot of old cotton stitches like this, and they're likely to break down the line. I think it would be best if we simply cut them all out now and replace them with silk ones. That way they'll never snare or tear or snap. Shouldn't be take me more than an hour, if I can get my hands on some sewing needles, that is he said. An hour? she exclaimed loudly, making Malachi jump, and all the rest of them. Well, well I, I could do it faster, but it's not going to be nearly as good quality, Malachi began to stammer embarrassedly. Oh, no, no, I, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to yell. I'm just surprised when you said an hour. I thought you were going to say days, not an hour, the woman exclaimed, and Malachi's face brightened back up as he understood her confusion. From what I hear from a very reliable source, Arachnikai are the best tailors in most likely the world. And trust me when I say I've seen just how strong that silk of his is first hand. Saved us all from dying in that vertebrate crash. So if it can hold my metal ass, two fucking huge claws, an eight foot night stalker girl and two humans up through all that without breaking, and he barely had time to stick that shit together, through his care I guess his carefully woven threads would probably hold the bloody world up. Seven said confidently, giving Malachi a bright smile, which seemed to do exactly as intended and give the young Spider-Boy a boost in confidence. The young woman looked awestruck, but then her face changed. I, um, don't exactly have any way to pay you for this, but, um, I could probably get you a really good sewing kit, if that would be a fair exchange. She asked, and Malachi smiled brightly and nodded. That'd be fine. I needed to do the work anyway, and if I could keep it afterwards, that'd be really helpful, he said, and she nodded eagerly. Oh, of course. It'd be like you'll pay for the job if that's not too little for you, she said, and Malachi agreed that that would be fine.
the woman shot off and was back in less than five minutes, bringing with her what looked like a red fishing tackle box that turned out to contain every kind of needle and sewing tool that Seven's utterly baffled mind could fathom. This really seemed to brighten Malachi up, and he wasted no time setting to work on the coat. The woman decided to stick around and wait for him to finish, and while she waited, Seven decided to ask her about this place and see what he could learn about her and her people. So this place you've got here seems nice. You seem what's the story behind it? He asked, smiling at the woman, who they'd learned was called Maria, as he settled into the couch next to Visa, minus his power armour, which now stood like a silent guardian next to him, as she positively dragged him into her lap and wrapped her whole scape self around him just in case he had ideas about climbing back into it. Oh, this place is wonderful. I'm so glad the girls found me and freed me from those fuckers in Paradise Falls, she said, which caused Seven to cock his head slightly. Paradise Falls? he asked, and Maria looked nervous now before nodding. It's a large outdoor shopping centre that got taken over and converted by a large group of raiders a long time ago. Now only God knows how many raider groups operate out of it, because it's basically the slaver capital of the entire capital wasteland at this point she said. The mere mention of the word slaver set all of them on edge. None more so than Gregory, who began to look like he might go into a full-on panic attack, clutching desperately at Ven's chest as if seeking reassurance that they weren't going to be coming for him. Ven growled deeply and angrily as he wrapped his gentle human boy up in his arms and his tail, making sure he had a full shield made of scaled muscle between him and the world as he gently soothed him. Maria noticed this and glanced between them, curiously before returning her gaze to Seven with the unasked but obviously present question in her eyes. Gregory used to be a slave to something called Caesar's Legion, back up north where we came from. He escaped from them and was on the run when, he, when we found him, or rather he found us. We took him in and took him with us, and he fell in love with his big scaly heart shield there, along the way and vice versa of course. We swore to him that we would never allow him to be a slave to anyone ever again, and that is a promise I or anyone in this room will never ever break. Trust me, those slavery-taking bastards come within a hundred miles of him or any one of us, they'll regret it a thousandfold. Seven snarled angrily as he clenched his fists in fury. Visa gently snuggled him and very gently teased his fists open so she could take his hand in hers and in her much larger ones to soothe his boiling anger. We have zero tolerance for slave-taking fucks. Every one of us in this room has some experience in knowing what it's like to feel your will taken away from you, to be nothing more than a plaything for others. So don't fear, you're among friends with us, Seven said desperately, trying to make sure that she understood. This seemed to embolden Maria, as she could plainly see Seven and Gregory's outbursts of differing emotions were as raw and as real as it got. She seemed to be under no illusions that the pair were telling the truth. While most of us here escaped from slaves from that place, or at least a place like it, they capture teams come out and they zap you with his gun. Just kind of don't know how to describe it, blanks your mind for a bit, I guess. Then you come to and you've got this fucking bomb collar on. And they tell you get your ass to Paradise Falls or they'll detonate it and pop your head like a pimple. After what most of us went through both in that place and the people who eventually bought us, I think I speak for every one of us when I say I wished I'd told them to fucking do it, 
she said with a very obvious pain in her voice. Seven felt a great wash of sadness flow through him. I'm going to assume that's why you don't allow men here, isn't it? He said and she nodded. Yeah, no offence here, but most of our experiences with the hands of very cruel, sick and twisted men. Now it's not to say that there aren't women like that too. Hell, I saw more than a few while I was there, and over half the slaves were men. But the shit we kind of saw just kind of leaves a mark, you know. So the girls that set this place up made it a safe place for women like us, who'd seen what we'd seen, went through what we went through, among other things. Just one way of making it feel a little bit safer here, I guess. In fact, you and this team are the first males we've had here in forever, I guess, Maria said, and Seven nodded in understanding. None of the males here would ever harm you. In fact, I can say without a single shred of hesitation that every one of them would die to protect you, you and others like you. It's the way they're built, and one of the many, many reasons we utterly adore and love them, Visa said in a surprisingly soft voice. I believe you. I can already tell that you are good people. Different, yes. I mean, I never imagined in my life that I'd be sat in a room with two death claws, a night stalker girl and a spider boy, let alone having a full-on conversation with them. But I can already see that you are good people. They just kind of surround you, sort of like an aura, I guess, Maria said, making Visa smile proudly. You know, my male once told me that he would show me that there were good humans in the world, humans that wouldn't try to hurt us, and if shown who we really were, they would come to accept us. I'm very happy and proud to say he's kept every single word and promise he's ever made to me to the letter. She said, hugging Seven tightly and gently licking his cheek, making him turn and kiss her softly on the lips. No offence here, but it seriously surprises me that you two are actually together in that way. I mean, I'd never imagined in a million years that a death claw and a human would, um, I suppose, fit together like that, let alone fall in love. Maria said, and Visa gave her a very toothy smile. Oh, trust me, dear. Female claws and male humans fit together very nicely indeed. I too once thought as you did, and when the feelings that now embrace with my whole heart began to creep their way into my mind like thieves in the night, they worried and somewhat disgusted me. I mean me, a noble claw, and him, a lowly human. But the more time I spent with him, the more I began to see the beautiful nobility of the man before me his rich and powerful sense of pure honour that wouldn't allow him to either back down or shy from injustice when he saw it. Do you know this man here set up a funeral prior for a nest of murdered feral claws that succumbed across to a good long ago? It upset him so much that he couldn't bear the thought of those innocent claws resting uneasy in their, any kind of afterlife that might be ours to claim. So he moved every single one of them together into their nest and set it alight so their bodies wouldn't be fouled by either time or carrion scavengers. Most humans don't see us as anything more than, be at best, pests to be encouraged to leave, and at worst, vermin to be exterminated without remorse or pity. But even feral claws just want to be left alone to live the only life they have. Claws will very rarely go anywhere near a human settlement, because they're smart enough to know humans mean trouble, and usually pain. But these humans went out of their way to find this nest, and right in the middle of nowhere, 
and they exterminate the whole pack for no other crime there other than existing. But then this beautiful male goes out of his way to try and make at least some part of that right for them. That is the soul of the beautiful male I fell in love with. Then yes, he also taught me that despite our size differences, we fit together so perfectly. It was like we were carved out perfectly for one another, Visa said proudly. That, that, that's beautiful, Maria said, glancing at Seven in awe, as he kind of shrank in embarrassment at his wife's praise. It, it was just the right thing to do, you know. No being should be left to rot in the dirt alone and forgotten. I don't claim to know what comes after this, and even if there is an afterlife. But if there is, I wanted those children to be with their parents when they get there so they wouldn't have to be alone and scared. I didn't really know if it would do anything, but it just felt more than right than just leaving them to rot in the sun, you know? Seven mumbled softly. And that's what makes you a good person, let alone a good human. You didn't even think about the fact that they were claws, not humans. You simply thought about the fact that they were happy hatchlings who might be scared without their parents at their side. That's why you're a good man. Both me and my sister are both glad to follow you, Seven, because the little things you do prove to us who you truly are. You brought together this crazy group, bound us together, not to mention you're the reason it continues to grow with every place we go. Will you stand up tall and proud and set an example for others to see and follow? You show that people, that humans and non-humans, can not only get along, work and live side by side in peace, but they can also love one another without shame or judgment. Then said, giving Gregory a gentle squeeze as the young human male sat in his lap, came down from his new flashback induced near panic attack. Thanks, guys. That means a lot to me, Seven mumbled in embarrassment. Then speaks the truth. When I kidnapped you, I saw nothing but another human would try and hurt me if I did not get him first. But when I saw who you truly are, I was so ashamed that I'd nearly hurt such a wonderful person out of ignorance. He showed me what my life could be truly be if I simply opened my mind. Then he promised to help me find a human like himself for me to love. Now I have my beautiful husband and I know what true happiness is, Risp said proudly as she embraced runs and stroked his chin with her tail, using it to turn his face so she could kiss him as it rattled away happily next to him. Maria looked utterly amazed by all of this, and she turned to Seven. Seems that you are a one-man example of what people could have if they simply opened their minds a bit and looked beyond what they initially perceive, she said, and Seven simply shrugged. I just don't like the thought of being judged for being different from everyone else. I don't see why those differences should matter to people. If anything, it's those differences should be celebrating, because they make the whole stronger. For example, Gregory over there could pretty much fix any machine you could put in front of him. Hell, he jumped in the pilot seat of a vertebird and flew the fucking thing despite having never touched one before. But now, you pair him with Ven, and not only does he have the power to fix and move 
seriously heavy gear. Those differences are what make them stronger as a team. That makes the whole team stronger. Everyone has the right to exist in this world, and none of us had a choice to be born into it either way. So we should just try and get along while we are here, because our lives will be richer and fuller if we do, Savin said in trying to explain it. Maria nodded and smiled. I see now why they follow you, and it isn't what you think, she said, and Seven cocked his head curiously at her. Oh? It's because you've got both charisma and hope, a powerful combination. You generally believe what you say to be possible, and you try to live it. It's very seductive, even if for the most part not possible. You still try, and that's what counts, she said. It only becomes impossible if we believe it to be so. If we believe it to be possible, then it will be. All we have to do is find a way to make it so, he said in counter, and she smiled at him. See what I mean? She said, and he chuckled, catching her meaning. And I'm done. This should hold nicely, Malachi said, suddenly holding up the coat so that he could examine it. True to his word, the arachnikoi boy had not only de-stitched the entire thing, but he'd replaced every single one of them with a tightly woven and incredibly strong arachnikai silk stitch that blended in seamlessly with the material. He turned and handed the coat to Maria for her to inspect, and she looked utterly amazed. Oh, wow! This is incredible! This is like the work of a master tailor! I can't even tell there was a tear here! she exclaimed, looking at the area where the damage had been. And she was absolutely right. Seven couldn't even see where the tear had been, as Malachi had expertly overlapped the fabric and sewn the stitches inside the lining to hide them. And given that they were silk stitches, and they were far finer than the original cotton ones, while being far, far stronger, they blended in perfectly with the material. Thank you so, so much, Malachi. I'm going to tell everyone about this. They're not going to believe this, Maria exclaimed happily. And before the smiling spider-boy could blink, Maria lunged forward and hugged him, making his large black eyes pop open wide in surprise. Seven felt wisp doing what felt like backflips in his head before she poured out of his ears like steam and began to orbit the pair. Out the corner of his eye, he saw Visa cock her head curiously at the odd behaviour of the cloud girl, and he leaned in close and whispered in her ear canal. I think someone's a little jealous that someone got to hug Malachi before she did, he said, and heard Visa chuckle softly. Well, just as long as they don't think they can get away with hugging you too, my male. This is all mine. It belongs to me, and it's from my claws only, she said, giving him a possessive squeeze, with both her incredibly powerful arms and tail to prove her point. I don't think there's going to be any girls dumb enough to try and steal away a claw girl's man. He chuckled and she growled softly. It better not be. The lure of a good male can be a powerful thing and it can override sense sometimes, she said and he chuckled and grinned up at her. You saying I overrode your better judgment there? He said with a grin on his face. Visa glanced down at him and growled deep enough that he felt it vibrate through his entire body like he was sat on a vibrating chair. You overrode all my senses, not just my judgment. She said, and Seven chuckled. Good to know that this little human can make a big, strong claw girl turn into a speechless mess, he said, playfully making a growl. Don't tease me, human, or I'll throw you over my shoulder and drag your pretty arse of yours up those stairs, and then we'll see who winds up as a senseless mess, she snarled softly, 
Seven fixed her with his best shit-eating grin before running two of his invisible hands over her rear end that was planted in the sofa, making her gasp and her pupils widen before instantly narrowing to slits dangerously. I think we'd both know who'd win that one, Sugartail, he said playfully. We shall see, human, we shall see, she said with a grin on her face now. Maria thanked Malachi and the group as a whole before heading out, proudly wearing a newly repaired arachnid-enhanced coat. Just as Visa looked like she was about to make good on her promise to snatch Seven off his feet and carrying him up the stairs, Whisk came shooting in from one of the other rooms, started doing laps around him before morphing himself into a variety of different shapes that looked like hands doing some sort of follow-me motion. Uh, I think she wants you to follow her, my love. Visa said, looking like she was getting dizzy from trying to keep her eyes on the rapidly circling cloud girl. So Seven did that, and now followed the now dizzy Visa. What they found surprised the hell out of both of them. It appeared that they'd missed a door when inspecting the property. It was hidden at the back of some sort of walk-in pantry just off the kitchen. And as Wisp vanished through the gap, Seven opened it, finding what looked like a staircase leading down into the darkness. Locating an oil lamp, Seven lit it up and followed Wisp down into the basement. She seemed to be emanating her own light as she floated around down there, so she was rather easy to see in the blackness. The basement was just cluttered with massive amounts of junk and piles of crap in every direction, but they either come from builders or from possibly previous owners of the house. But that all got all the young cloud girl all excited was sat in the centre of the room, and it even made Seven smile. It was a robot, like the type they'd seen floating around in the wasteland from time to time. It was large, green, with a circular-shaped head that's mounted atop it. it. Sort of looked like a light bulb, but made of metal. What appeared to be a rocket thruster of some kind curled up at its sides, and what appeared to be like legs of a dead spider made up of three metal-segmented arms that had an assortment of tools, or rather weapons, mounted to them. One held what appeared to be a plasma rifle by the faint clean glow coming from it. The second appeared to be what looked like a buzzsaw. And the third was just a claw-like hand made up of three metal prongs. It's a Sergeant Gutsy, Visa said, surprising Seven, and he glanced at her curiously. I've heard humans refer to them by this name, she said proudly, at the fact that she knew something about human tech that not even Seven seemed to know. And it also seemed to surprise everyone... But then again, given his lack of memories, he shouldn't have been really. Think you can lift it? Seven asked, knowing that she couldn't resist. It would rather be a rather painful headache if he tried. Visa made a humph noise, as in disappointed in her human's lack of faith in her vast strength. And with surprising ease, she hoisted the robot up into her arms leaving its three long arms dangling free like she was holding a dead metallic octopus. Visa waddled her way with her awkward charge back up the stairs to deposit it in the lounge before the surprised companions. Gregory was on it before it even settled properly on the floor. Holy shit, where the hell did you find a Sergeant Gutsy? He said, pawing over it. Wisp found it in the basement. Think you can fix it? Seven said, leaning over to peer at it. We have a basement? Fenn asked and Seven nodded. Yeah, I can fix it. Honestly, it doesn't look like there's much wrong with it other than a few corroded power connectors. And this looks like it's been converted to run on hydrogen 
rather than regular fuel. It's third gen. Nice. This is going to be good, Gregory said. Hydrogen? Seven asked and Gregory nodded. During the fuel wars, nations began to realise that no matter if they secured what fossil fuels were left, they were still going to fucking run out. Hence the huge push into both nuclear and possibly other renewable fuels. But, as we all know, it's kind of too little too late. But one of the benefits of this is things like this. It has a hydrogen-powered drive, which thanks to this nifty little cracker unit on it, can pull right out of water itself. So we easily power this thing with dirty water because it's zero issue with the rads. It just simply won't affect it, Gregory said. Even while he was talking about the young man was already prying open panels and setting to work. Fortunately, one of the things that had survived the crash was his steadily growing toolkit. And once Ven had passed it to him, the young man really set to work. And in only half an hour, he had the Sergeant Gutsy back in working condition, which really made Wisp happy. As the jump jet engine sputtered and fired up, lifting the robot up off the floor where it began to hover while Risk assumed control of it. It started to twitch and mount up as everything started to move as she started to gain controls over the arms and weapons and everything else in it. You could pretty much see the control transferring from robot to girl. Ah, that's so much better. No offence, Seven, and as much as I'm indebted to you for letting me ride around in your head, there's only so much looking under a deathclaw girl's tail a girl can take before it drives her nuts. Westplayed in a rather deep and masculine voice of the sergeant gutsy, making her sound kind of like a drill sergeant. Ah, don't be shy, Wisp. You know you'd love it as much as me, Seven said playfully, and Wisp chuckled to herself. Seven, I don't think there's a guy out there who could love it as much as you do. That's not a negative of either, I'm sure. But for us non-claw-gloving girls, looking under her tail quite a lot can be slightly bothersome, she said, replying making Seven laugh. I'm not exactly happy about having you having a close view under my tail either, you know. That's for my beloved male's eyes only, Lisa snarled huffily, folding her arms over her very ample chest. Wisp ignored her and floated over to Malachi, who was watching her very curiously, and rather nervously by the way he was wringing his hands as she got closer. Hello, Malachi. It's good to finally get to speak to you in person, well, so to speak. I'm Wisp. And yes, I know this isn't my real body and I'm just controlling it. My real body's dead. And this is me now. I'm a non-corporeal human. And while I do hope to have a replacement body of my own someday, right now I'll take whatever I can get, she said, offering him a clawed hand to shake. The nervous-looking arachnikai boy glanced around at Seven as if seeking reassurance from him. So Seven strode over and smiled at him. Don't worry, Malachi. I know she seems kind of scary, but she's really not. She's a really nice girl, and she's the one who got me out of the airship when we were both trapped when we first met, he said. Malachi nodded, and he reached out to very timidly shook her offered hand. Hello, Wisp. It's nice to meet you properly, he said in a soft voice. Wow, you're so much prettier when seen through a pair of eyes that are my own. The colours of your fur are just so much more vivid and sharp. Wisp said, moving the three large visual sensors that acted like eyes that were basically just advanced cameras on stalks sat on top of her head. Malachi just seemed to freeze up, and Seven noticed both a blush pass through his very pale skin, as well as all of his fur fluff up all over his legs and body, 
as a shot of embarrassment hit him. You, you, you think I, 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 I'm p p pretty? He exclaimed and stammered, between looking between Seven and Robo Wisp as if trying to see if she was trying to wind him up. I'm a non-corporeal girl, Malachi. That doesn't mean I'm blind. I'm a girl who knows pretty when I see it. And trust me, I see a whole lot of it right now. And I like what I see, she said with a confidence that was utterly astounding. Seven, and by the look of the rest of a group of them, were all stunned by this too. Well, I, I, I um, uh, thank you very much. No, no, no one's ever called me pretty before, Malachi stammered shyly his little mandibles twittering as he spoke, and his cheeks blushing a bright neon pink colour that was rapidly becoming a deep, much deeper red. Look, before I start making you feel uncomfortable, or put on the spot, Malachi, I want you to know I don't expect anything from you. I just want you to know how I felt. I've seen how easy it is to lose everything in this world, and how fragile everyone and everything is, really. And having been around seven as long as I have, I've now realised that bottling things up gets you nothing but regrets. So I don't want any regrets. Not any more. So yeah, I want you to know I think you're beautiful. And I'm very, very attracted to you. You're an incredibly beautiful man. And I want you to know that. But please, don't feel uncomfortable by this. I don't think I expect anything from you. Well, neither does this group either, she said. Wow, th th thank you. So, so much, Wisp. That's so incredibly nice of you. The young Arachnakai man said, looking like he was about to burst into tears at the kindness and directness of the words. But before Wisp had a chance to respond to him, or attempt to comfort him, there was a knock at the door, and Seven moved to open it, only to find Shepard standing there. Ah, good, you guys seem to have settled. Where the hell did you find that Sergeant Gutsy? She exclaimed, noticing the floating robot hovering next to Malachi. We found it in the basement and Gregory fixed it up. And now Wisp's using it, Seven said. What? Wait, hang on. Wisp is in there? She exclaimed, looking between them. Hi, Shepard, Wisp said, waving her clawed hand at her. Holy shit, she really can hijack tech. That's going to be useful. Well, we've set up the meeting, so if you guys follow me, I'll take you there now. Damn, I wish we'd seen that robot first. We really could have used a Sergeant Gutsy around here, she said, look, glancing between them slightly jealously. Well, if you find her an upgrade, I'm sure Wisp would be more than happy to give it up to you. Hell, I'm sure Gregory would even upgrade it for you. The boy's an absolute genius with anything made of metal. He fixed the fucking thing in half an hour, Seven said. Shepard looked thoughtful, and then she nodded and smiled. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right, thanks. Come on then, guys, let's go. And with that, the group left the house and set off into the town, heading towards the meeting.